Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now, here's our sermon from Rev. Tab Miller. Well, uh, this has nothing to do with what I'm going to be talking about today, but I've not spoken to my wife this morning because I get up and leave before she is awake, and so I want to say happy birthday. She just turned 25. Why are you laughing? All right, well, let's get into our sermon this morning. We're continuing on a discussion that we started last week. In our scripture reading today, we're talking about and exploring this foreign idea of the Levitical priesthood, which is an ancient sacrificial system that the people of Israel would use in order to go before God and confess their sins and be cleansed of their sins. It's not something that we deal with in our life now. We don't know this system for ourselves. We've accepted the offering of Jesus Christ. He died once for all. And this has replaced the priesthood for us. And yet today, the writer in Hebrews is talking to the the people of Israel and through extension to us about the priesthood and Christ's place in that priesthood and Christ compared to that priesthood. And we have to ask a theological question. Well, what good does this have for us? What practical use does it have for us today? In order to accomplish what I want to accomplish this morning, in order to get the idea across of what the writer is trying to get to us, this might feel less like a sermon and more like one of my theology classes, Uh, but we are going to be getting something. We are going to be getting out of this something we can press into and lean into to trust God a little bit more today. So bear with me if I take more of a teacher persona this morning and, and giving more of a theological lesson than a sermon, but we will be taking home some application from all of this. The first theological consideration I wanted to make this morning is that God in His great wisdom and mercy has always worked to be a God who speaks to us in ways in which you and I can understand. He wants to speak to humans in human language. He wants to speak to us in terms that we can grasp as human beings. I mean, think about our Holy Scripture. Our Holy Scripture has not come to us in simply a divine tongue. It does not come to us in the tongues of angels. Instead, it has come to us through the hands of human beings. Yes, they were inspired by God to write these words, but it was human beings with human minds using human language to put down what it is that the Holy Spirit was saying to us, what the Holy Spirit has for us, so that we don't have to simply... Uh, take on a divine uh, presence of the Holy Spirit in us and cipher everything that's being written here. People who don't even know God can jump in and read the text and at least get something out of it and be drawn to God through ways humans can understand. As the book of Hebrews, which we're going to be talking about this morning, points out earlier in the text, when God desires to give us the fullest revelation of himself that we know of in history. He did not simply come as an invisible spirit. 
He did not come to us in simply a fire or an earthquake or a tempest. He came to us in his fullest revelation in the very person of Jesus Christ, which means he came to us in a way we can understand because he came like us. He came as a human being. And while God's thoughts and ways are far above our thoughts and ways, when the scripture decides to tell us about God's feelings, God's emotions, how God is dealing with us, it describes it in human attitudes and human emotions and human feelings. So we get words about God like God loves, God is angry, God has compassion, He has mercy, indignation. And while these things in human terms have been marred by sin... God uses them to be, as a beginning point to say, I am something like this. You know what it's like to love. You know what it's like to be angry. You know these things. I'm something like that. And then he takes that term for us and he begins to redefine it for us and show us the perfect way to live out of love, the perfect way to live out of mercy, so on and so forth. So God uses human language, human touch, human emotions to speak to us. He first uses human ideas, and then by comparison, he shows us how we too can live them out in our own lives in a more perfect, more godly way. Another tool that he uses that we might not often think about is roles. I don't mean like biscuits. I mean like, like parts that we play, right? Roles that we play in life when we relate to one another, we relate to each other in a variety of roles. So to Natalie, I'm a husband. To Kurt and Barbara, I'm a son-in-law. To Ray, I'm a friend. Uh, to JD, I'm a co-worker. To you guys, I'm a pastor. To the Navajo, I'm a missionary. To my children, I'm a father. To others, I'm a teacher. I'm a student. I'm a mentor. I could go on and on. These are human roles that I play in relation to other people, and they vary depending on where I am. And God uses a multitude of roles for himself because he is so varied, because he is a complex being, because he is so personal. And so the Bible tells us that God is a father, God is a king, God is a judge. Those are the three main ones. He's also a shepherd, a priest, a physician, a redeemer, a healer, an artist, a comforter, a friend. The list could go on and on and on. And God wants to speak to us in these ways so that we have something to have a point of connection with. And yet even some of these roles, if we start thinking about God in various roles, things can start to break apart if we have had bad experiences with someone playing this role in our life. There is no limit in the church today of people who struggle with the idea of God as a father, and mainly because some people have grown up with either an abusive or an absent father figure in their life. And so to think of God in those terms can be difficult for them. But then again, for God's part, as I've been saying, he's not just saying, I'm like your father, or I'm like just any father, any judge, any king. He also is taking that role and he's redefining it for us, showing us the perfect way it should be. So if there is a role of God that makes us uncomfortable... Perhaps that's because we know within ourselves that what we've experienced from other human beings playing this role is something broken. So there's something innate within us that says there has to be better out there. And God is saying, let me show you. If you haven't had a good father, a good leader, a good physician, 
If you haven't had these things, let me be those things for you. So where we can break down in our understanding, God wants to resurrect for us a better understanding of relationships. So God reaches down and speaks to us in a myriad of ways. And yet today's text, it is talking about a human role that some humans could understand, the priesthood. But this was for a people in a time and place far removed from us today. We have nothing like the priesthood today, not even within uh, denominations such as the Catholic Church or something like that to have the priesthood. We're not talking about priests in that sense. We're talking about these men who stayed at the temple slaughtering animals, shedding their blood on the altar, and taking your petitions to God in the Holy of Holies. This seems strange to us. We don't understand this system for ourselves. This is not how we receive forgiveness. Instead, as the old hymn says, the hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, when you and I consider our forgiveness and how it is that our forgiveness happens, we say, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We know that's, that's our reality. No other fount I know. I don't know any other fount. All I know is the blood of Jesus. And yet for us today, we're looking at a system, we're looking at a community who is being told at great pains by the writer of Hebrews, this Jewish community saying, Jesus is better than this system. Let me compare Jesus to this system for you, this system that you know, this system that you have relied on. Jesus is better. How is this language that you and I can understand? Let's first read the text, and then after doing so, let's explore it together. So what our reading is today, it's from the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. This is God's word, and we're grateful for it, and hopefully today we will find much comfort in it. But perhaps today's text does not directly speak to us in our culture today. We don't need to be convinced that Jesus as a high priest is better than the priestly systems of old. But what we can see in this text is there's something deeper going on here than just talking about the priestly system. There's something deeper at stake for this Jewish community. Because if the system of the priesthood was working for them, then it wouldn't need to be replaced, right? God doesn't just replace it with Jesus because it was working just fine. He comes in and he fixes it. As the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. God would be the same way. If it wasn't broken, if it wasn't working for if it was working for them, why would Jesus need to come and replace it? But what we see here is the worry of the people who were suffering 
this, this Hebrew community, they knew that priests could be corrupt. They knew that temples could fall. They knew that the system for their forgiveness could be left in ruins. And they often felt lost in this. Their very system for being forgiven could be left in ruins. How would you feel if you believed that your system of forgiveness could fall at any minute? And the issue is not just that they need a better system. Their, their idea, the, the issue at stake here is that they need to be able to have trust. Trust in the system. Trust that it would not fail. Trust that the priest that represented them would be merciful and without corruption. We know in leadership today, we know about corruption. We can understand where this is coming from. So again, let's go into the theology here. Theirs was a public system. This system of priesthood was a public system. It was part of the religious and political structures of Israel coming together. They did not separate church and state in their day. This was a religious and political institution. And Israel's government is like nothing we've seen on earth before. The closest thing we have now is the church. But not even the church is like Israel was set up back in this time. The geopolitical nation of Israel was an actual theocracy, actually ruled by the king Yahweh. God was actually their king. Now, before we get off track and you start to wonder, yes, nations can choose to follow God. Yes, nations can recognize God as king. Yes, nations can be blessed by God. Our nation has been blessed by God at many times. But we're talking about a form of government here. We're not just talking spiritually here. We're talking actually, really, physically so. We are a democratic republic. Not so for Israel. God was their king. He made their laws. He instituted their laws. He set the boundaries of their kingdom. He led their armies. God led the army. God set the law. God did all of this. And God was represented by three offices. There were more offices for sure, but three main offices in Israel. We talked about this last week. And these people, these three men, were to stand in the gap for Israel between God and sinful man. But often, instead, they stood in the way. There was the king, the priest, and the prophet. We're speaking specifically about the priesthood today, but you might be wondering, well, preacher, you just said... That God was the king of Israel, literally the king of Israel, and then you said they have a human king. What are you talking about? Understand that in the mind of Israel, the king was known to be a steward. Not like the kings of the rest of the world around them who saw themselves as divine gods to rule over the people. They saw themselves as servants of God who decreed on behalf of God and led on behalf of God. But God was the one enthroned in the Holy of Holies, above the cherubim, above the Ark of the Covenant. God literally sat enthroned on the hill in Jerusalem. And this is where the priesthood comes in. This is where things get interesting for our discussion today. Because if God is there in Jerusalem, and you had to make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem to talk to God, you also had to go to the priest in order for God to hear you. So you'd go to the priest and you'd make your confessions. You would take your pleas before God. You would ask for forgiveness through the priest. And the priest would offer upon your requests, your petitions to God. 
to deal with God between you and God, there was this priest, a mediator of blessing between you and God. If you wanted to be blessed by God, you had to go to a mediator. So what if you knew that for God to hear you in this official sense, the king of Israel, for your leadership to hear you, the God of the universe, you were going to a corrupt person who might not take your petition. What would you feel like? How distraught would you be? Today, in our system, we do separate church and state. We understand, though, what it's like to have representatives. We elect people called representatives. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to call them up on the phone or write them a letter and tell them how we feel so that they can go to our leadership and tell them, on behalf of the people, what we're thinking. And a lot of times we don't bother because we don't really think that they're there to do that. Do you really think when you write that letter to your representative that they're actually going to take it further up the chain? Some of us do not. Some of us don't have that sort of trust. So what if you had a person like that in your life who was supposed to speak to God for you? Now we can begin to feel a little bit of the pain the Hebrew people were feeling. I mean, our political system can feel broken at times. Christians can often feel like we are not being heard. We wonder, does the culture hear us? Are we represented well? Are we being heard? And even within our own religious structures, we can turn on the news and see scandals within churches, leaders within churches doing horrible things. We too can have trust issues. We have trust issues in our own day. Now let's go even deeper into our theology. As Christians, we do know that Christ died for us. And when he died, if you read the text, you see that the veil was ripped in two. Right? The veil of the Holy of Holies. We know that that's when that's a representation of God's Holy Spirit coming out to the people. The Spirit of God is poured out on all of us who believe. So that no longer do we need to go to the temple to be heard. We can speak to the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to the Holy of Holies. We don't have to stand before the priest there. But that does not mean, because the Holy Spirit is with us, that does not mean the priesthood is over with. We still need representation before God. Your prayers you offer to the Spirit, the Spirit carries them forth, but then they go to the priest. Who's the priest? Just as ancients needed to plead their case before a mediator because they're sinful, they needed an advocate who was pure and cleansed before the Father, we too have to take our petitions to Christ. Christ has been given this role. Christ is active right now in our lives, and he's receiving our prayers. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. It is now Jesus who stands in that same gap between sinful man and the Father who has the power to forgive. Sometimes we forget that Jesus isn't done with his work. Because we proclaim Christ has come, Christ has died, and Christ has risen. And so we live in this kind of in-between state of Christ's first coming and his second coming. We'd much rather have him here sometimes we feel like. But what he's doing, they're taking our prayers before God is so much more important. Christ is actually the mediator taking your prayers to God. Which means that your forgiveness and your prayers aren't a mechanical process. It's a living and personal process that you go through. It's very personal to carry your prayers to God. Christ is actually working even now to free you of your guilt and your shame by taking your confessions to God, and He hears you. 
Today, we often think, many people think that knowing Jesus is real and believing that Jesus existed and believing Jesus went to the cross, that's the key to believing in Jesus Christ. I believe that he came. I believe that he died. I believe that and therefore that's what it means to believe in Jesus. But as we see here in this text, the question for the Hebrew people, which is still pertinent for us today, is not, do you believe that he came? Do you believe he did what he said he did? But do you trust him? Do you trust him to take your petitions? Do you trust him as your high priest? Do you trust that Jesus will forgive you? Are you willing to follow Jesus? And that's really the deeper question. With all the distrust we have in our world, do you trust God? Do you really trust him in all his roles that he plays in your life? There are even non-believers who will say, well, sure, I believe in I believe that Jesus came, and I believe that he was a trustworthy guy. He seemed so kind, and he seems very winsome, and he wasn't corrupt like the others around him, and he took on the bad guys. That's someone I can get behind. I just can't get behind this all God stuff. But if we get into the deeper theology again, it can make us squirm, because as Christians, we believe that Christ is God. So everything you know about God, everything you feel about God, you actually feel about Jesus and vice versa. Do you really believe God loves you? Do you really believe that God is there? Do you really believe that God is caring for you? Not just caring for the world. We don't just believe that Jesus is some kind-hearted ideal, idealist. We believe he's the God of everlasting. So what do you think about God when you think of him? Not just as Jesus. What do you think about him when you think about God as your king? Or your father? What do you think about God, perhaps in the scariest mode? What do you think about him being your judge? You will stand before him and he will judge you one day. You look forward to that? Again, we know leadership. King, God's a king. We don't have the same sort of leadership. But we, we know kings. We know leaders. We know sometimes we don't trust them. We've seen countless examples of corruption in leadership. We know judges. We know God is a judge. We've seen judges act without mercy. We know God is a father, and many of us have been hurt by fathers. Jesus is actually said to be represented by Christians like you and me, and there's no limit of church hurt out there. There's no limit of people who've misrepresented Christ as Christians. You see all this corruption in the world. You see all these things that God says, I'm like this. It can bring in some bad feelings if we're really honest with ourselves. Do you really trust him? Not does he exist. Not does he love some people in this room. Does he love the world? Does he love you? Does he love me? Does he love me? Does he care for me? See, because with politicians, we set term limits. If we don't like them, we get rid of them. Pastors, especially in this denomination, they come and go. And Hebrews says, there's one and only one person who will stand between you and the Father. Only one person who will offer you forgiveness. Only one person who will represent you to forgive all of your sins. And he will do it forever and ever. That's Jesus. So do you trust him? But don't just hear this as an ultimatum. Trust Jesus or else. Because the writer of Hebrews here is going at great lengths to bring comfort to the people. Because the people in, in this this time and day that he was writing to, they were a suffering people. 
As the saying goes, a bit dog will what? He'll holler, right? A bit dog hollers. Why? Well, hurt people's first reaction, if you've been hurt, your first reaction is to distrust, not to trust. So there's a lot of people out there who've been hurt and wonder about God. Have you been hurt? And has that affected your relationship with God? And Hebrews is it want to say, Israel, I know you've been bitten. Church, I know you've been bitten. But this isn't like the corrupt leadership you know. This isn't like the corrupt whatever. Whoever's hurt you, God is not like that. Jesus is different. But how can we know that Jesus is different? We can just, well, Jesus is different. Well, I can just say that all day long, but that doesn't make it true. How do we know Jesus is different? One of my favorite movies is uh, True Grit. You might be thinking, well, which one? Yes. I love both of them. And I love them both for very different reasons. I love the first True Grit because I love John Wayne. I love John Wayne. I love everything about him. He's a get-or-done kind of guy. He's rough and tumble. You know what I'm saying. John Wayne is John Wayne, no matter what movie you're watching him in. He just commands the screen. He's John Wayne. And, you know, he plays these various roles, but he's always John Wayne. In the second movie, I love the second movie because I love the story of True Grit. I love the novel. I love the character Rooster Cogburn. And in the second movie, Jeff Bridges is Rooster Cogburn. See, in the first movie, Rooster Cogburn is John Wayne. In this movie, Jeff Bridges takes on the character. He's not playing himself, I hope. He's playing Rooster Cogburn. See, John Wayne's always tough and endearing, but in the second movie, Jeff Bridges is all the things Rooster Cogburn's supposed to be. This drunk, no good, washed up marshal, crude as all get out, who finally shows the real man he is on the inside. See, Rooster Cogburn is a role. It's a role. It's a part that these men are playing, right? And the role changes based on the person playing the role. The movies are two different movies. Rooster Cogburn is the same story. The same story the whole way through. Rooster Cogburn is supposed to be the same guy. But it's different because of the person playing the role. It's the same for roles that we play in life. Some fathers are better fathers than others because they're better men. They have better character. Some judges are more lenient than other judges because they are, more, just as a person, more merciful. Some teachers are stricter than others based on their personhood. The role does not determine the relationship with the person. It's the character of the person that matters. And when we're looking to all the roles of God, including the priesthood, the Bible tells us God is love. Bottom line, God is love. So what the writer is saying here is that the priesthood was not broken because priestliness is a broken thing. The role itself was a good role. The priesthood was broken because of the men who were acting as priests. They were sinful in Jesus. We have seen him come and he's lived a different life. He will treat us differently than the corrupt people who've treated us in our lives. He is a better leader. He's a better father. He's a better judge. He's a better king. He's a better priest. Whatever it is, he's a better physician. Whatever it is you need, he's better. Lean into him. Now, 
I've been talking a lot to people in pain this morning, people who have felt the brokenness of relationships. And some of us may say, I don't have a problem trusting God. I know he loves me. For those of you who might be in that position, I want you to know those of us maybe in a better position know, this is the lesson for you this morning, know that there are people who are hurting. There are people who are in pain. And many do things in life. We see it on the news all the time. We see it in our own lives, in our own families. People do things we don't understand. And it usually comes back to the fact that they're hurting sinful people who have no trust of others. Something has happened in their life, perhaps at a very early age, that has left them broken and they do broken things. They do bad things. As representatives of God, we're supposed to be putting the pieces back together for these people. We're supposed to be loving them and showing them that there is a God that loves them. Be sure to never do anything in your life that misrepresents God. And do not take for granted that you are a representative of God. If you can't sympathize with the suffering of the people in the book of Hebrews, at least learn the lesson of the priesthood. They broke the people. It was the priesthood that broke the people. It was the priesthood that left them feeling that they could not trust anybody. And the Bible tells you and me that we belong to the priesthood of all believers. You are a mediator of God's blessing to the world. Don't take that for granted. People are being put back together by the grace of God through us as the priesthood. One last thing as we widen our scope a little bit more. We've covered the priesthood and we can be confident that Christ is willing to forgive us. We can go running to him because his character proves such. He is no liar. But it still comes to us that there are many roles of God and some of us might be feeling pain in some of these roles, these other roles. We might fear God. We've talked about God as Father. Some of us might fear our fathers. We talked about God as King. We might distrust our leadership. We, again, the scariest role perhaps is God as Judge. And indeed, we should have some awesome fear of God, but it shouldn't be a distrusting fear. It should be a healthy fear. So I want to say something this morning about God as He is. Because remember, in all the roles that God plays, in any role that anybody plays, it is how they relate to you is determined by their character and not the role. So I want to say something about the character of God. Because in, if God is unchanging and God is kind in one role, He'll be kind in many roles. He'll be kind in all of the roles. The writer of Hebrews is saying He's a kind and faithful priest. You can trust him. And that won't change simply because he changes roles from time to time. Because God is consistent in his character. We have seen his full nature in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was sent by God to show us the character of God. So as the band comes back up, know this. Before God ever took up his crown as our king, before he ever picked up his gavel as your judge... Before he ever picked up a staff as your shepherd, before he shed his blood as your priest, the Bible tells us that God existed throughout eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Which means God has always existed as family. And if God is unchanging, then God has always been family. And what is family at its purest form? Family is love. God has always, from eternity, been love. Everything that God does is motivated by love. I don't... That doesn't mean it's all mushy-gushy, but he's motivated by love. He doesn't have it out for you. He's not out to crush you. 
He will rid himself. Will, will, he will rid this earth of sin and any sinners who will not come to him for forgiveness because sin hurts people, and he'll end that eventually. But he's not out to get you. God is love, and he's pursuing you in love. He has always been love. So the next time you think of God picking up his crown to rule over you and to command you to go somewhere, next time you think about God picking up his gavel and he's going to judge you, realize that the one who does this is your loving father. He loves you. He's doing all of these things because he loves you. We can, we can get confused on the roles because we, we can look too hard at those things. Because we've seen brokenness in those things in our lives. But you've got to go deeper than that. You've got to look at the character of God. God is love. He's always been love. He's motivated by love. He's pursuing you in love. Whether he's acting as your king, your judge, your priest, your shepherd. However he's coming into your life at this moment, he's loving on you. Sometimes it doesn't feel great. Because he's not going to leave you in your sin. But he's doing everything he's doing out of love. Press into him. Let him love you. And trust him to do the things he says he's going to do. His character demands such. Let's trust in him. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.